Hey friends, it's the Visual Studio 2022 launch. We're still here, we're working remotely. Thousands of you have downloaded the preview of Visual Studio 2022, but today we're gonna launch it for the millions of developers out there that are excited about making great stuff with Visual Studio. We've got just demos, no PowerPoints. We'll also talk to the developers that made Visual Studio 2022 a reality. We're gonna have a live chat going on, so be sure to ask your questions. The entire team's gonna be available to answer them. Now, before we show you the awesomeness of Visual Studio 2022, let's talk to our first guest today who leads the product team for the developer division. We're gonna hear from her how Visual Studio 2022 came to fruition and what the vision is for the future of Visual Studio. Hey, Amanda. Thanks, Scott. How's it going? <laughs> Glad to be here. <laughs> yeah, so you're the CVP for the developer division in Visual Studio, and you've seen lots of releases uh, for Visual Studio over the course of uh, your time here. Uh, you know, there's thousands of developers that are watching and learning today about what Visual Studio 2022 is all about. Like, what's the vision and why should we care about 2022? Well, I mean, every release of Visual Studio is a moment. It's so exciting to actually make sure that every developer's day is more joyful. And we really try to make sure that every version of Visual Studio is more performant, it's more reliable, and this one is. Mm -hmm. But this one, it really is a very special release of Visual Studio. It's the first version that's been re-architected to be 64-bit natively. And so that means that like for a lot of developers who have large scale solutions, mm -hmm. they're going to experience more performance, fewer out of memory exceptions, things like that, better reliability overall. The other thing is we always try to improve that edit debug cycle. And so a lot of the improvements that we've made with IntelliCode, bringing AI to actually help you write the right line of code, that makes every character you write more productive and, and more on point. And then the last thing is we've really improved the cycle to do debugging with hot reload so that you don't need to stop to be able to see the change in the application that you're writing. That's so good. That developer's inner loop. Make a change, see the change. Make the change, see the change. Right, exactly. Don't you want to see it as soon as you thought of it? That's so cool. So we could go on about this and we could do talking points and we could do marketing, but what we're going to do instead is we're going to show demos. And you've brought some folks from the team to show me those cool demos. Yeah, we have some amazing demos and some awesome people that have been on the team working on these features firsthand that are going to be talking about them. All right, fantastic. So who's up first? I think we have Kanika. Kanika works on the Visual Studio team on performance. Welcome, you're gonna to talk to us today about Visual Studio and what it brings for developers' performance and scalability. You bet, and I got a demo we can roll. All right, let's roll the clip. So we're looking at a large solution. You know, when you open those solutions, you go get coffee so that Visual Studio can settle down. Well, we're trying to make that a thing of the past. So this is a 176 project solution, Orchard Core on .NET 6. Um, and you can see how quickly the solution loads. Everything's interactive. All your navigational elements are right there. Look at Solution Explorer. You can interact with almost all elements of that. Um, the other navigational elements, search is also there. You can search for your files. Look at how quickly the results are there. Click through it. You can scroll through the file. Everything's ready. You can interact with it even as colorization comes through. Yeah, this is all real time. We recorded this together on my computer. Exactly. This has not been sped up. No, no, this is exactly real time we made the change and we are going to not build a solution to make sure we don't break anything mm -hmm. and we made a lot of changes to incremental build first off it doesn't assume just after you've opened solution that everything's out of date but only build things that it's supposed to secondly fast up-to-date checks four times faster which means all your builds regardless of where they're being triggered for are faster so look at that only seven solutions that needed to be built we'll take a quick look at test explorer we broke some tests, Scott. Uh -oh. uh, so we're going to go ahead and make some changes to fix that. So it looks like we'll revert that because that was probably getting ahead of ourselves. Yes, it was. So that, and then we're going to go ahead 
run those tests again. Look how fast the Solution Explorer just got you right where you wanted to go. Exactly, those, that search has been optimized and improved. And the other thing is look at the unit has being run, it's hot reloading them, so it's not building everything again. Oh, wow, so you didn't do a rebuild right there. It no. hot reloaded the test and ran it, and now we fixed them. Exactly, and so now that our fix is done, we can just close the solution, and on our way we go. That's cool, responsive at every moment. Exactly, faster and responsive. Wow, Visual Studio, 64-bit, who would have thunk it? Fantastic. Uh, actually, let's bring Anson in. He's a partner architect that works on Visual Studio and was instrumental in moving it to 64-bit. Hey, Anson. Hey, Scott. Thanks for hanging out. So, 64-bit, why didn't you do it before? Uh, good softball question to start. <laughs> and you asked it very uh, emphatically, and I think that's the same uh, that users are asking, like, why, why, why now and, and why not before? And the reality is that there were several considerations that we've had over the course of, of you know, basically 64-bit. We've thought about it for a long time. And really, one of them was kind of around usage, which is how many folks had 64-bit uh, machines that were installing Visual Studio on, and in particular, how many people were still installing those on 32-bit OSs? And the thing that was interesting to us is that even though 64-bit hardware has been around for a really long time, we found that a number of people were still installing Visual Studio on 32-bit VM. Uh, and so that surprised us, and, and that was a reason that we were like, well, maybe we shouldn't pull that trigger right away. Well, um, I'm thinking about this as a person who lives in the ecosystem. I've made extensions of my own. If you release two, then I'm going to release two. But then if you go to 64-bit, are you going to leave me behind? That's concerning as well. Yeah, that's an awesome point. And that really leads us in quite nicely to sort of a second consideration, which was that ecosystem and extensibility uh, area. Now, one of the things that was good um, is we've made some changes in the past couple releases that have required uh, extension authors to, to kind of react and update uh, uh, to, to the changes that we made for both performance and, and reliability reasons. And they have done it. So the extension authors have really done just an absolutely amazing job doing kind of that adaptation. So it gives a lot of confidence that, you know, moving forward, uh, they would do the same thing for 64-bit. And we, we have seen that with, with 2022. Right, and we've also got things like .NET and .NET Core that have enabled us to do things as any CPU. So some people could move their 32-bit things forward and not have to worry about anything, it just worked. That is, uh, yeah, I mean, both on the C++ side, really, you can write portable code, but on the, you know, on the .NET side, we did see an increase in the percentage of extensions within the marketplace that were doing exactly that, right? And, and making it so that that transition was actually, you know, fairly straightforward for those folks. So it seems like this was the moment. It was a convergence of a number of things that happened and made this possible. And then up-leveling from that, what can we do with all this new power and all this new memory address space, right? Scott. We have the architect of Visual Studio here. Let's geek out for a second. Okay, my bad, my bad. What are some things technically that you had to do to make it work in 32-bit that now you can think about differently in the context of 64-bit? It's a great question. It allows us to actually do a, two major things that I'll mention. One, which was that we used to induce GCs during uh, times when we knew we had an opportunity to collect a bunch of memory. We don't have to do that anymore. And the You're second forcing thing, garbage collection. We used to force garbage collection oh, wow. like during startup, and now we oh, don't right. have to do it. And then secondly, uh, we actually used to do a thing called partial engine, where we only pre-jitted a, a small section of code that we knew users would hit. Uh, and now we can actually engine quite a bit more um, and, and increase performance. Okay, so you're doing native image generation, engine, and just-in-time uh, compilation 
more now because you got more room to move with 64-bit. That's exactly right. Okay, so performance is really a focus with Visual Studio 2022. Performance at the low level and then also at the at the user level, like what I get to do. My fingers do more now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you definitely want to go from your idea to the code as quickly as possible. So how can we make every line of code faster to write? Actually, we've got an AI-powered demo that we brought a clip uh, on IntelliCode. That's right. All right you want to take a look? Let's take a look at that. All right, so here we are in an ASP.NET application, right? But what matters is the code that you can write and how quickly you can go from that idea to writing the code in the editor. And so everybody's familiar with, you know, you write a little bit of code and then you see IntelliSense come up. But in this case, what's going to happen is you're not only going to see all the ways that it can complete, that's just kind of the alphabetical list. It doesn't really give you guidance as to what you should be writing. Um, what you're going to see here is that as you write the code, it's actually going to make a suggestion for the entire line that you might want to complete, right? So that's basically taking, you know, in that case, it looks like, what, 10 characters? Basically eliminating 10 characters that you might need to write. Wow, it's multiplying my power. Well, I think that's what's so key about this and what's so awesome is, you know, writing code actually becomes this exercise of hitting tab because all I needed to do to accept that whole line of code is to hit tab tab to get the entire line. And, and so it'll just complete for you. But how does it know? <laughs> well, it's actually based on machine learning models. So what we've done is we've taken a look at a lot of, you know, public code um, and inferred based on that a machine learning model that we can use to have predictive guidance for you as you're writing the line of code, what is the most likely um, next line of code you're going to write? And so it's basically looking at a combination of all of the code that we've trained this model on top of combined with the code that you've already written in the application thus far. Wow, so it's not your machine learning model, it's yours plus mine that's specific to my code. Well, so what it really is doing is it's basically created a machine learning model that is generic, that is based on what everybody has written code about in ASP.NET as an example, right? And But then it's taking the that and combining it with the code that I've written thus far in this, in this program. Oh, wow. So one of the things that's so important about this is it's not just how fast can you write the line of code, you know, that you can hit tabs and you don't need to do all the typey-typey. It can actually give you an indication of what is the right line of code to write. So, for example, we have this add password results, and you know, in this case, it's an async call. You say await, um, but also it can tell you what are the right parameters to pass into the method. That's amazing. So this is really going to make my life editing code a lot easier. Hopefully, I'll be able to see the results very quickly too. Yeah, I think you're going to become a 10x developer. I don't know about that. <laughs> I would be. I'd be happy to be a 1x developer at this point. So now what you can see here is that it actually can say var add password results and it can give you the completion of the entire method, including the, the you know, arguments that you might want to pass in to that line of code. And it's super useful for learning new APIs because it also means that it can actually give you guidance as to what's the invocation order for the APIs that you might need to call. It seems to be getting smarter and smarter. <laughs> well, I mean, I certainly think that that's what everybody will experience. That's a really amazing innovation. So this, this AI runs locally? Yeah, in fact, even if you're coding on an airplane with spotty Wi-Fi, you'll still get all of this guidance as you're writing code. In telecode and airplane mode. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, but actually we've got uh, another guest to come in and show us what happens after you've edited your code. Let's bring in Erica. Erica is a program manager on the C++ team. Hey, Scott. Thanks for hanging out. 
Thanks for having me. So we have explored editing and uh, we've seen IntelliCode, uh, you know, but the next big area in Visual Studio 2022 is hot reload. And we're going to hot reload all the things. All the things. Now I'm a .NET person, I'm familiar with .NET, so I get how that works. But honestly, I haven't done C++ in many years. And I know that you are a huge C++ fan. Yes. But your team is doing some amazing stuff that I didn't think was possible. Yeah, so hot reload applies to C++. I actually have a demo with me that we can walk through. All right, let's check it out. All right. So this is Bitfighter, which is an open source cross-platform CMake project that's running locally on Windows. And in this game, that blue little triangle is a ship and a ship has a shield, which right now is expressed with that red circle. If I wanted to make a design change to that shield, I could change its appearance without setting a breakpoint or restarting the game with hot reload. So here I'm over in Visual Studio, game is still running, and I'm changing that shield from a circle to a star, and I'm changing the color from red to blue. And whenever I'm done making my edits, I just need to press that hot reload button to dynamically inject those changes into the game and see them realized in real time. So it's exactly like you were saying earlier, edit to the change, edit to the change. I made this change on the fly. I didn't need to pause execution, which can save you a ton of time between edits, especially if you need your app in a very specific state in order to verify a change. Uh, Erica, I'm trying to get my head around how that works. It's pretty cool. <laughs> you guys, this is amazing. This is something that previously was really only available to web developers, right? Web client developers creating web apps. And now this is available for native developers writing C++. Yeah, and not just game developers, all native applications can leverage this. That is amazing. Hot reload all the things. All the things. So I'm going to have to learn C++ again, but I do really like my C Sharp. Do I get hot reload also? You're in luck. You also get hot reload. Olya has an awesome demo for hot reload for .NET developers that we can roll now. All right, let's hear from Olya. Thanks, Scott. I'm Olya. I work on .NET Desktop, and let's dive into the demo. Let me open Visual Studio and show you new features in WPF and WinForms. I'm going to build an application to track air quality in different cities. And as usually, I will have some shared code, some business logic, and I'll have different clients. In my case, I equally love WinForms and WPF, so I'm going to build a client for each. Let's start with WPF. I have some basic UI in place, and I'm going to generate the cities and corresponding air quality with the following data template. OK, here I'm going to use data binding. And the problem is I cannot see how my data will look like in the app here in the designer. For that, we have a new feature called design time data. Design time data allows you to mock any property and set the values that would be shown specifically in the designer. So by adding D column to any XAML property, you can get values in your designer, like I just did. Perfect. I have my data. I see how it will look like. I want to make minor tweaks. For example, I want to change the font of that. Here's another new feature we have called Quick Actions. By extending light bulb, I can change fonts, colors, anything I want with just one click. Perfect. I'm happy with how my application looks like, and I'm going to run it. Let's assume I developed WinForms application behind the scene, and I have my both WinForms and WPF applications. But something is wrong with my WPF. Let me debug my app while it's running using the feature called Hot Reload. And for that, I'm going to use another new feature called XAML Live Preview. XAML Live Preview 
allows me to see my running application inside Visual Studio, so I don't need to switch back and forth between Visual Studio and my running app. Not only that, but it also has great tooling for pixel-perfect UI. I can add rulers, I can measure distances, I can select controls, and all that fun stuff. Okay, let me look at my item control. Okay, and here I see that I forgot to specify item source. So I'm gonna quickly fix it, and there you go. I see that my application is fixed while it was running right away. Great. I think I'm happy with how everything looks like except one part. I noticed that cities here are all Los Angeles. That means I have an issue in my data logic. Let me go ahead and fix that, and my WinForms and WPF applications are still running. Yep, I forgot some test code right here, so I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna save it, and let me show you one new feature we have. In Hot Reload menu, we have Hot Reload on Save. So now I just saved my changes, I'm gonna go back to my applications, hit refresh, and I have real cities here. By the way, .NET Hot Reload works even without the debugger. My WinForms app was running without the debugger, and Hot Reload still worked. That's it for me. Thank you so much. Wow, I was actually joking when I said hot reload all the things, but the Visual Studio 2022 team is not joking. It is the hottest release of Visual Studio ever. Everything is hot reload, C++, .NET, and we're gonna hear from partner architect David Fowler, who's gonna show us hot reload in ASP.NET. David. Hey, Scott. You got demos. Yep, I got Fled doing a hot reload for Blazor Wasm. Blazor Wasm, WebAssembly. Web Let's see we're it. We're in the browser, we're hot reloading everything. So the app is running, it's blazing pizzas. Think of it as a pizza shop. And we're gonna show off a hot reload demo which will make the inner loop much faster with a single file save so you don't have to rebuild the entire application to see those changes. Here's the application, it has a bug somewhere. There, there's no image of the pizza. There's supposed to be a preview there. Um, so we're gonna fix the bug, probably somewhere in the code. Um, and there it is, there's a B background image, it should be background image. So we're gonna do a very simple fix to fix that typo. And keep your eye on the save icon right here. We won't have to rebuild, all right? Single control S will push the changes from your IDE into the application in real time. So that, insane, right? Um, in the olden days, you have to kind of build the whole thing, wait for it to recompile, make it work. Now we can actually do it with in real time in the IDE and have it put to the application in the first place. Second bug here, I can only make a kid's pizza with just cheese. And let me wanna actually make the pizza support more than one topping. There's the issue, it has, you know, the max is one topping. Let's make it six. So from one to six, control S again, just saving. Boom. It went from a, a text box to a dropdown. So now I can add more toppings to the actual pizza. Fresh tomatoes, gross. I don't even yeah. want to ask you about pineapple. <laughs> oh, only in Hawaii. All right, six toppings, and then we have to add the totals column to our site. And the entire time, I, I, like, I haven't built anything like ever, right? Just have to hit Control S after adding pieces of code. It's huge. So I added that, it's not, not shows up in the actual UI. Total price of the pizza. Now we're going to show you hot CSS reload. So we had hot reload for Razor, and now for CSS. What's pretty cool here is that you actually don't have to hit Control S to make this show up. As you type, once the actual um, syntax is correct, it'll work just fine. 
So I can type in real time, hit semicolon, and have the changes reflected in the application in real time. Right, so you see, I haven't saved this yet, and the changes will be actually reflected in the actual application. So hang on, you didn't just hot reload HTML. You made us super hot CSS. You didn't even push Control S. Spicy. Very spicy. You also did C sharp. C sharp. That's new. And C sharp anywhere? Any kind of C sharp? Anything. Not just Razor. Web, not just Razor. Could be web, client, mobile, anything. Wow. Yep. Okay, it's happening. That's a big change. Yep. It's huge. It is huge. It's we, hot. Really. We have been chasing this for about ten years now. Really? We got it finally. This is a huge release. Huge. Oh my goodness. It's amazing. So we've seen how to edit our applications. We've seen how they get hot reloaded all the time, all the things. We can then put them into production, and then we need to find out what's happening. We need to profile them. We need to see all that great tooling inside of Azure. We've got Mark to show us that right now. Awesome. Thanks, Scott. Visual Studio is way more than just a code editor. It's a full suite of tools that allow you to diagnose and analyze how your code is performing. After creating and deploying your carefully crafted code at some point, it gets put through the fire of customer expectation. And when it does, Visual Studio can help you refine your app to scale with the most complex of situations. Take, for example, this piece of code. So this is an ASP.NET application designed to process thousands of data records into files. The process is split into distinct units of work which are represented by these three .NET tasks. The final step here is to return success when I'm done. Now my DevOps team tells me this operation is consuming way too much CPU, but we know that this is strange because the bulk of the code is concerned with file operations. So the DevOps team used Azure Monitor to capture a trace during the CPU spike and shared it with me. Now, rather than using my intuition, I can open the trace in Visual Studio and go directly from problem to code. In the trace, I immediately see top functions and hot path. The hot path indicated by the flame icon tells me exactly which code paths are consuming the most CPU. So this is a great place to focus on for any CPU bound problems. Alternatively, I can use our new flame graph view as this demonstrates graphically which areas I need to focus on. Regardless of which view you prefer, the true magic that Visual Studio unlocks is that it helps you go from problem to code. I'm going to double click on my frame in the hot path and it highlights for me the code of greatest concern. This is in fact a badly designed regular expression. It had nothing to do with processing thousands of data records and the profiling tools in Visual Studio helped me to prove it. Back to you in the studio. If ever there was a demo that really reinforced that Visual Studio isn't just an editor, right? It's an integrated development environment. You're at this, this powerful cockpit of all the things from production, editing, hot reload, all that stuff. Is everything that we've seen available for everyone or just in the big money paid versions of Visual Studio? No, I mean, what we want to make sure is that every developer that's coding in C Sharp or C++ can actually develop any application super productively for any platform. Any platform, not any just Windows. Any platform, yes, not just Windows. Linux, I mean, I think this is one of the big, big things is that Visual Studio has actually become an incredible environment for developing apps for Linux. Mm, that's fantastic. Actually, I've been spending a lot of time with WSL, the Windows subsystem for Linux, which is a huge part. Uh, of Windows 11, are you saying that Visual Studio knows about WSL and Linux? Yeah, for sure. And Erica actually has an awesome demo that she can show you. Definitely. All right, let's check let's it out. Let's roll it. So we're starting with a CMake project open in Visual Studio. CMake is an open source, cross-platform, 
build system generator that's supported natively by Visual Studio and is our recommendation for C++ cross-platform development. Now, because CMake is cross-platform, I can build and debug this project on my local machine, on SSH connections, on WSL distros, all from the same instance of Visual Studio. I'm also using Visual Studio's new CMake presets integration. So this file, cmakepresets.json, is supported directly by CMake and can be used to drive CMake generation and build both with and without our tools. That means your team can use it from Visual Studio, from VS Code, from the CMake GUI, in a CI pipeline, or from the command line on Windows, Linux, and Mac, which makes it a great option for teams who like to support a diverse set of tools. All right, I've already configured this project, so I can start debugging on WSL by pressing F5, using Visual Studio's native support for WSL2, which is brand new in Visual Studio 2022. All right, so what we're looking at is pretty cool. This is a Linux app running natively on Windows with WSLG, the G stands for graphics, and Windows 11. And you can notice the Linux style controls as well as the Linux tiling up in the corner, which shows we are in fact launching this from a Linux instance. In Visual Studio, I have the full suite of debugging features available backed by GDB which means I have a rich visual experience for things like inspecting variables or using the parallel stacks window, which is open to the right. And that's an example of the kind of graphical expression that you just can't really get when you're debugging with GDB from the command line. And it's all running locally on WSL. Picking my I'm watching David like try to like Picking emotionally deal with that. Picking up brain. Are, are you okay, David? I don't think. Like, Whoa. <laughs> this is your teammate here. Holy crap. Huh? You've never seen that before. No. Isn't that good? It's happening. You can build and debug Linux applications with Visual Studio 2022. You need to sit back and just lie down. Because that was huge. Because it's happening. Amanda, the year of the Linux desktop is happening on Windows. Well, and I think this is you know really about not just Visual Studio, but also Windows becoming a really uh, awesome developer box for developing apps for Linux. It's amazing. And not only developing them, but also testing them, doing some amazing tests. I think we have a demo from Kendra about cross operating system testing on Windows with Visual Studio. Hey everyone, let's check out what's new in Visual Studio 2022 to test your app. This feature is bring your own compute. So I'll go ahead and build a Docker container right now uh, with the Visual Studio PowerShell. And while that's building, let's take a look at my tests. So I have two tests, they're super simple. I have uh, a Linux test and a Windows test, and I'm using the skippable fact attribute in XUnit. So I will skip my Linux test if my operating system is Windows and vice versa. I'll uh, only run my Windows test on Windows and skip it if I'm on Linux. So. Now that uh, the container is kind of built in the background, uh, let's take a look at our test explorer. So right now you can see this is the remote test environment dropdown, and right now it's set to my local Windows environment. And my Linux test is skipped and my Windows test is passing. I'll go ahead and select the container that I just built, and it will actually rediscover my tests in the background. So this dropdown is defined by a testenvironment.json file where you can tell them things like uh, what Docker image you want to connect to or which WSL uh, distribution you need and anything you need for your SSH connections as well. 
so back in my test explorer, I've rediscovered those tests. And now when I run them, it'll be on that Linux container. And now my Linux test is passing and my Windows test is skipped. So you can easily debug these. There's lots more you can do. This is just a little sample of how Visual Studio can bring cross-platform development into your inner loop. And that's all I have for today. Back to you all. Amazing stuff from Kendra, the ability to be able to test my .NET applications cross-platform without ever leaving the comfort of my IDE Visual Studio 2022. Yeah, so important. You can write code, you can debug your code, and you can also write tests in the IDE. Yeah, but can I check it in and put it in the cloud? That's the real question. I don't know, Scott, can you? Oh, fine. <laughs> Maybe I can do a demo. <laughs> All right, let me show you this. I've actually got something for you. All right, check this out. So here we are in Visual Studio again, and I'm actually gonna right click and say publish, and it's gonna pop up some different options that I've got, and one of them is Azure App Service in Linux. And I'm gonna pull down my resource group, and we'll see the different app service instances that I have available to me. I could make a new one, or I could pick one that's already been created here. And then I can publish it with the pub XML file, or check this out, CICD using GitHub Actions. It actually knows that I'm logged into GitHub, and it knows what kind of application this is, so it's gonna pick the right template, and it will build my CICD pipeline for me. Check this out. So look at that. It says GitHub Actions Workflow. It brought my published profile secret out, so it, it knows the context, it knows the context of the cloud, and it's gonna trigger on the push. It's pulled my secret out, put that into GitHub Actions, and then all I have to do at this point for the workflow to run is to go and commit and push this to the remote repository. So I'm gonna say open git changes window, and I'll make my commit, and when I push it, it's gonna fire that trigger, that push trigger on GitHub Actions. So we'll put in a message for my initial commit, and I'll go ahead and say commit all, and then we'll see one outgoing, and I'll go and initiate that push. That happened in the git changes toolbox there. Now look, the workflow is running. So at this point, we've pushed to the master, and then that run is happening in GitHub. We can then switch over to GitHub, and we'll see that CI/CD pipeline that was created for me happening automatically. There you go, build and deploy. We're 16 seconds in, set up .NET Core. We're gonna run the tests, then we're gonna do the publish. And then we will deploy to the Azure web app. All of this was created for me. I didn't have to edit this pipeline at all. Once that post run is done, my application will start to spin up inside of Azure. It takes just a second for it to do that because we're doing a cold start. And there you go, my app is live right there in App Service on Linux. Awesome. Pretty cool. Kind of full circle right there. We've seen all the hot reloading, all the great editing, all the IntelliCode. We've committed our code that's been fully tested, put it into a CI/CD pipeline in GitHub Actions, and then published it to the cloud. How fun is that? That's pretty cool. Is your brain okay from the hot reload demo yeah. earlier? Yeah, yeah, Okay, it's recovered I you, now. <laughs> I know you're having to deal with that. <laughs> right click publish, GitHub all Actions. All right. So we've seen some really amazing stuff from all of our friends, and we're, we have to really appreciate the work that was done by all of our friends who aren't here today. The organization is huge. Many, many, many engineers worked on this project. For sure. We're just really, really proud to be able to work on this on, for developers. And to be able to do it in the middle of the pandemic is pretty amazing. A lot of this work was done remotely. Yeah, it's been incredible to collaborate across the team to work on this release. And it's awesome to see you all here. And it's kind of you know funny to notice Anson's socks. Uh... Yeah, what's going on with your socks, Anson? What's the story there? Yeah, no, these are Visual Studio socks. Obviously, they're from a slightly older version. Uh, I'm not saying that there may be somebody that could, you know, 
flight a new set of swag for this <laughs> version, but if there were such a person, that'd be great. I don't know who has that power. We'll <laughs> look into it. I think there is a new logo, so we definitely might need to update Anson's socks. All right, you heard it here first. Visual Studio 2022 sock swag coming at you in 64 bits. All right, what a great celebration and what a wonderful time to spend. And actually, we do have a secret code that we have to enable to go and turn on the next step and finally release uh, Visual Studio 2022. I'm going to put this down and we're going to go to our special control panel that I'm going to pass to you Ooh. to launch Visual Studio. Thank you. Software. You can enter the <laughs> secret code. All right, I'm not sure if I remember this. Up, up, down, down. All right. Left, right, left, right. BA you start. ready? You ready? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> <laughs>